Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Well, it's good to be with you today, friends. I enjoy transformation stories, don't you? Whether the person has gone through some kind of transformation in their mind, in their heart, in their life, in their body, in their relationships, you know, the, the, the rags to riches stories or the down and out to up and serving kind of stories, I find those incredibly inspiring. Whether someone has overcome incredible odds to begin to experience life and choose grace and, and embrace forgiveness, live into purpose, those are great stories. Well, in the last few years, I've been inspired by stories of physical transformation as well. They've really gripped me, particularly weight loss stories through intermittent fasting and then also running stories. Now, before I go on, I probably should insert some sort of medical disclaimer here that whatever I say now, you know, don't do it unless you've talked to a doctor. You've heard that, okay? Uh, but let me let me let me say a couple months ago, I was reading a great book by Rich Roll called Finding Ultra. Uh, Rich was about forty years old. He was overweight. Uh, he said he had to stop and catch his breath halfway up a flight of stairs, and he realized this is not how I want to live my life. This is not the kind of dad. I want to be. And so he began to make some courageous choices. He identified some of his own uh, internal uh, demons. And within only a few years, Rich went from a 40-year-old overweight guy who couldn't make it up the stairs without catching his breath to one of the fittest men on the planet. I mean, within about three or four years, he did an event where he ran five, or not ran, ran, swam, and biked, he competed in five back-to-back Ironman triathlons in seven days. It's an incredible story. It's inspiring. Now, that is transformation. Now, obviously, I'm no rich role, but it's no secret that I myself have been on a bit of a transformation journey toward greater health. Uh, Two years ago, just this week, uh, I was my heaviest weight ever. My dad had just passed away, and I think in the months leading up to that, I was just kind of living in uh, survival mode, and I, I was heavy, and I was unhealthy, and I wasn't feeling good, and Tanil was worried I was going to die of a heart attack, and, and I started looking at myself and realizing this is not how I want to live either, and so I began little by little, baby steps by day, baby steps, to make some changes. For me, it was through intermittent fasting. I grabbed a hold of the inspiring advice of Dr. Jason Fung, and I gradually started losing some weight, and then as I was going, I added in a little more fitness, some push-ups here and some, some sit-ups there, and a few things with my boys. And as I lost some weight, I began to shamble along the side of a road somewhere and found that I could sort of run, I mean, tortoise speed, but nonetheless started to run as I was more able. Recently, I posted a more detailed account of my physical transformation 
uh, to a fasting faith group site that I'm a part of. And uh, it, it is a segment that, that is called Face-to-Face Friday, where what people do is they post pictures of their faces, just their faces, side by side, and it reveals a significant part of their transformation journey. And I thought I'd let you see my picture. So there I am. I'm a lesser man than I used to be. And uh, it tells a bit of a story, doesn't it? Now, I don't want to turn this session into a, this is how Tom lost weight and how you can too kind of thing. But I can tell you that hearing the transformation stories of other people really empowered me. They still do. I love to see the stories, to celebrate the changes. They help me steward my body toward better health for the glory of God. And I hope that even sharing a little bit of my own story will be an inspiration to others as well, because as the old saying goes, if I can do it, friends, so can you. Well, today we're talking about spiritual transformation, about our spiritual transformation story. Now, when I say spiritual transformation, I don't mean that that's like a separate category from physical transformation or mental or, or, or emotional or relational. They're all interrelated. We're whole people. God has created us with bodies and minds and in relationships and everything that happens in one area certainly influences others. And yet we can talk specifically about our transformation by the Spirit, our spiritual transformation, because each of us are right in the middle of a transformation story that's being worked out by God himself. It's been initiated by God on our behalf and is now being applied to us by the Holy Spirit. It's being worked out in us now because of what was already worked out for us then by Jesus. In our latest teaching series, we've been going through uh, the letter of 1 John, and we've been trying to hone in on what matters most so that we can get super clear on that together and then fully engage all that God wants to work in us. Uh, During the last few weeks, I've been urging you to adopt two distinct applications, daily spiritual practices and intentional spiritual friendships. One of them would be something that many of you already do, reading reading the scripture and praying and mulling and meditating and all of that. But I'm willing to bet that Intentional spiritual friendships is something that is new to most of us. Well, those two practices, uh, those two uh, applications, daily spiritual practices and intentional spiritual friendships, is something I am strongly urging us as a community, as a church, to get real about. Today, we're going to explore the foundation of how we respond to God's transformation work. And that will really inform not only our conversations with God in our sort of private, personal uh, practices, but also in our conversations with each other, in our, in our more general Christian friendships and in our families, but also specifically in this spiritual friendship, uh, this intentional one-on-one that I've been encouraging you to pursue. And it all comes out of this chapter in First John, right at the beginning of chapter 3. As I prayed and prepared for this message, I was struck again by God's goal for us. His goal that we should be transformed into the image of Christ himself, that we will be transformed so that we look like Jesus. It's God's intention that you and I, in all of our diversity and uniqueness and gifts and talents and all the the ways he's made you, you, 
that you and I would be living, breathing, walking, talking little Christs. Not only today, not only in our relationships and in our world now, but actually that's his goal for us for eternity. And that that doesn't erase our uniqueness, but actually it amplifies it and it displays it to the world, to all of creation for the glory of Christ. But when we look around, or maybe look within, or maybe look in the mirror, we can immediately see how far we have to go. Because when I look in the mirror, I'm not seeing as much as G- of Jesus as I think I'd like to see, let alone what God would like to see. And I suspect it might be the same for you. And we look around the world, we think, wow, we've got a long ways to go. We're living in the middle of an incredibly divisive time, aren't we? There's a lot of heat, a lot of anger, a lot of violence. We're living in a time where idolatry, nationalism, uh, uh, anger, and rage is being displayed in vicious, horrific ways. We're living in a time where racial sin is finally being acknowledged and yet also being pushed back against, even enhanced in some ways. We are in a time when sexual abuse is rampant, but is also coming out of the woodwork. Marriages being destroyed, relationships um, just being cast aside. There is just rampant disregard for one another. Right in individual homes, really displayed on social media, all around us. For people created in the image of God, we look very little like Jesus. But looking like Jesus is God's goal. And not only his goal, but it's his promise. It's his intention. It's what he's going for. And so we are in the middle of that transformation story. And our question is, how do we participate in that? How do we get in on it? How do we yield ourselves to what God is wanting to do in us? How do we bring ourselves into alignment with his desires? His purpose to bring real and true transformation into our lives. Well, here's what I know. The more open we are to the work he wants to do in us, the more transformation we will experience. Being open really brings us back to those two applications I've been going on about. Being open through intentional spiritual practice. I actually think spiritual practices are all about just being open to what the Spirit is saying, being open to the Father's work in us. But also being open to each other, opening up that conversation with a spiritual friend in community is a key way that we open ourselves up to God's transformation. So I'm going to keep referring to that as we move forward today. Because we want to push in a little further and ask, how do we do this in that conversation with God, in those conversations with each other? And so Without any further ado, let's turn to 1 John chapter 3. We're just going to look at the first three verses today. 1 John chapter 3, 1 through 3, almost reads like a step-by-step guide for spiritual formation, for spiritual practices, for spiritual conversation. And I believe it will be practically helpful for you and for I, for us as a church. Before we do that, though, let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be together in this way today. And I ask that each man, woman, teenager, child that is gathered today and is listening, participating together, I pray that by your Spirit, you would help us 
open ourselves up to you and the work of transformation you want to bring into our lives. We are ready to receive all that you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, all we've been hearing so far in 1 John comes into really sharp focus for us. This is how 1 John chapter 3 begins. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Do you hear the invitation in there? The very first move that opens us up to spiritual transformation is through contemplation. Contemplation may not be a familiar word to you, but in the context of spiritual transformation, it is a key practice. Contemplation is about paying sustained attention to the one who loves us, to the Spirit's invitation to us. And so what does it mean for us to see the great love the Father has lavished on us, to contemplate the love of God? Well, very simply, it means this, to look upon what he's done for us through Jesus. A little later on in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, verse 9 and 10, we hear these words, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When we're called to see the love of God, we're invited to contemplate his love by looking at what he's done for us through Jesus. Friends, this is where everything, you could say, begins, continues, and ends. What God has done for us in Jesus. This is the good news or the gospel that we come back to every day of our lives, every moment by moment as we're following Jesus. You see, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about what God has done for us. In other words, God initiates and we respond. We are not making it happen. Rather, we are recognizing what has already happened for us through Jesus. And this is absolutely critical that we get a hold of and that we never let go of. That God's grace is first, it's second, it's continuing. That the work that God is doing in us has been initiated by him, it is sustained by him, and it will be completed by him. Everything necessary has been done by Christ. And we get in on what he's done for us by simply opening ourselves up to receive what he has given us. We're going to keep coming back to that. We'll always keep coming back to that because it's so easy for that to slip away from our hearts and minds so that we think, yeah, God loved us, but now I've just got to work real hard and strive real hard and I've got to make sure I've got everything lined up and I'm doing everything exactly right and I'm not, I'm not screwing up in any way or else somehow that love will slip away and that is not true. John calls us to see the lavish love of the Father. that We are called children of God. The lie that we need to keep doing stuff so that God will be pleased with us, that we've got to you know, somehow earn God's attention or we've got we to keep God's love by doing everything. That's the lie that sits at the very heart of religion. Religion that says it's all about what you do. But the gospel is all about what God has done. What God has done for us through Jesus Christ. True transformation is a gift from God 
to us. It's handed to us by sheer grace and it's sustained by that grace in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so John wants us to contemplate that, to see that, to fix our hearts and minds on that, to pay full attention to God's lavish love for us, to see it, to mull it, to sit with it. And I think this has direct application to our spiritual practices, to our spiritual friendships. That we need to, as we think about the daily way that we spend time with God, that we spend time in his word, that we pray together or meditate, that as we consider getting together to discuss and to share how we are growing in Christ, how our walk with God is going, that contemplating the Father's lavish love for us is a central component, a starting place where we are always going to fix our attention, both personally and together, on what God has done for us in Jesus by including us in his family. Contemplation is the key to transformation. But John goes on so beautifully. You know, he says, the, the wonder that we should be called children of God. But then he goes on and says, you know, in a sense, we're not just called kids. We are kids. He says, that is what we are. We are children of God. Not just called children of God. That is what we are. Let me read on. He says, that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now We are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. The second way we open ourselves up to God's transforming work in us is through celebration. We revel in our identity as God's lavishly loved children. You know, there are so many ways that we end up defining ourselves or maybe defining others through the roles that we have, the jobs that we do, uh, the talents that we've adopted or learned, uh, some of our skills or maybe our personality. We end up defining others based on maybe their political persuasions or, or, or maybe different things they've said or done. We end up defining ourselves by successes or failures. So many different ways we allow a false self to wrap us up so that we somehow either project an image to the world or even to ourselves of who we are. And what happens is we contemplate the love of God and celebrate our status as children is that the Holy Spirit begins to unwrap us, to peel off those false selves that have defined us based on success or failure or ideology or viewpoint. And it leads us by the Spirit to embrace our truest unshakable identity as the very children of God. This is an absolute game changer. If you could sit with this, pray into this, talk into this together, if you could truly contemplate the love of God and celebrate his uh, making us a member of his family, this would change everything about how you view yourself and how you view others around you. Contemplation and celebration. Now, John reminds us here that the world around us doesn't actually see us that way. He also kind of reminds us that we ourselves don't even fully know what this means. 
there's a little bit of mystery here as to how this actually works out and how this actually, uh, you know, changes things in our lives. But what he wants us to know is what we can be sure of. And that is this, that God has included us, that we are members of his family, that through the accomplished work of Jesus, we are his kids and nothing can change that. And it's that uh, environment, that family inclusion that really brings about the transformation into the image of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Well, practically speaking, I believe that celebrating that reveling in it, acknowledging it, praising Jesus for it, speaking out the truth of it, expressing our gratitude and our surprise, doing that through all the ways we can do it with spoken words, songs, uh, art, um, you know, encouraging one another, uh, you know, putting up messages on, on social media that remind each other of that, of walking together, delighting together at God's inclusion of us in his family. I think that is a critical way that we learn to be redefined by our family status. That what is true of us now is also true of us forever, that we are in the family of God. And friends, isn't that worth celebrating? Yeah, it is the celebration that brings transformation. Well, these things support, they interweave each other, don't they? As we contemplate the lavish love of God and we celebrate the fact that that has made us family members, those things work together. And I think that takes a central role in your time in spiritual practices. As you open up the scripture, as you pray through it, as you read the stories, as you see the life of Christ, as you see what God has done in bringing this whole story to a place where we are included in his family, It helps us contemplate and celebrate. It, uh, I think, practically speaking, leads us to say, how much of my time when I'm spending time uh, quietly on the couch with Bible in hand or I'm talking with family, friends, or the spiritual friend that you're focusing on that you have chosen to walk with, how much of our time features that kind of celebration? Because I think it should. I think we're invited to do that. I think we're about to open ourselves up to God's transforming work through active celebration. And well, I think that encourages others too. So much of our conversations can be about worries, can be about troubles, about divisions. So much of our conversation can be the latest um, difficult thing that's been posted on Facebook. Or so much of our conversations can be a regurgitation of what we hear or see on the newsreels. This invites us as we contemplate the love of God and celebrate his inclusion of us and his family to change the nature of our conversations to feature more celebration than condemnation. More celebration of his love for us than trying to look around and define everyone else based on the things they've done wrong or right. We all look to Christ. We look to the Father and he transforms us through that encounter. Well, let's keep going. From contemplation to celebration, we now move to the third way that we open ourselves up to God's transformation, and that is through anticipation. John says, what we will be has not yet been made known. He reminds us of that. There's a, there's a mystery here, a, a hiddenness to it. But then he goes on to say this, what we know, uh, you know, has not yet been made known, but We know that when Christ appears, when he comes in the end, 
bring, bringing the new heavens and the new earth and resurrection life and all that. When Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Do you hear that? You know, the common question we ask kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's funny to hear all the different responses to that. Um, you know, I think Disney has shaped a lot of those responses, or perhaps nowadays you could say Marvel. But there's a lot of expressions kids will give around various superheroes that they want to be like, or some amazing figure that they've seen that exemplifies for them, that's the right future. That's the kind of person that I want to be. Well, what John is saying here is that as children of God, we actually can look into the future and see exactly who we will be like. We don't know how God's going to do it. We don't know the routes that he's going to take us on. We don't know the difficulties that will be entailed in getting there. We don't know how long it's going to take or what kind of process it will be. But we do know this. In the end, you and I are going to look like Jesus. That when we fully see him, we will be transformed into his image. And knowing that influences us now, that as we fix our hearts and minds on God's goal, but really on Jesus himself, that image will transform us now. And the way that we relate to our spouse or our kids, our friends, the way we relate to one another, but also the way we'll relate to people who are other than us, people who disagree with us, people who are in different positions than us. This resurrection glory, this loved and, and loving like Jesus, we know that that's where we're going. We know that ultimately that's what we're going to look like. And as we deliberately anticipate that, that will affect, that will open us up to the transformation that God wants to bring to our hearts our minds, and our lives. And it doesn't matter how unlikely that they may sound to you, whether that looks at your own heart or maybe when you look around yourself. As unlikely as it may look, God has promised that this is where we're going. Recently, I heard a, a great story about an impossible win. I mentioned a few weeks ago that I, one of the, my books already uh, for the year was Mark Batterson's book, Win the Day. Highly recommend it. He told a great story in there, and I don't often read a longer story from a book to you, but I wanted to capture this for you today because it illustrates perfectly how as we anticipate what God is doing, it affects then how we are open to his transformation today. This is from Mark Batterson's book, Win the Day. On August the 22nd, 1851, Commodore John Cox Stevens and his six-man crew won the America's Cup in a 53-mile regatta around the Isle of Wight. The race was witnessed by Queen Victoria, who reportedly asked which yacht was second. The infamous, infamous answer, Ah, Your Majesty, there is no second. Thus began one of the most impressive winning streaks in history. The New York Yacht Club, of which Commodore Stevens was a founding member, member successfully defended the cup for 132 years. They were undefeated until September 26, 1983. 
when the Australia 2, skippered by John Bertrand, ended the longest winning streak in sporting history with a 41-second margin, margin of victory. That win was a milestone event for Australia, hailed like a national holiday. Even America tipped its hat to the Australia 2. The boat was awarded Athlete of the Year by ABC's Worldwide of, uh, Wide World of Sports. I'm not sure how a boat wins that award, but that's water under the bridge. The question is this. How did the Australia 2, how was the Australia 2 able to do what no one had done in 132 years. A winged keel that was designed by Dutch engineers certainly gave the Australia team a technical advantage, but that isn't what won the race. If you haven't tasted victory in 132 years, it's hard to imagine any other outcome than defeat. The first thing you need to convince yourself of is that winning is possible. How? The answer is in the first habit, flip the script. You've got to rewrite your narrative by telling yourself a different story, a better story. Several years before the 1983 America's Cup, the Australian skipper, Mike Fletcher, had read the classic novella, Jonathan Jonathan Livingston Seagull. And the moral of that story was to begin by knowing that you've already arrived. Now listen to this, friends, because this is where it gets crucial. Begin by knowing that you've already arrived. And he was inspired by that storyline. And so Fletcher made a recording. Get this. He made a recording of the Australian team winning the race. The recording he made included narration, the sound of the sailboat cutting through the water, and a copy of that recording where they hear themselves winning the race, was given to each member of the crew. And they were instructed to listen to it twice a day. They did this. Get this. They listened to that recording twice a day, every day, for three years. Before even setting sail, they had won the race 2,100 and 90 times. How did this Australian team bury the long losing streak? They told themselves a different story over and over again. They won the race because they won the day, 1,095 days in a row. I thought that was a great story. And it beautifully illustrates something for us. As we anticipate the future, it opens us up to the transformation of God now. And friends, the call here that John is giving us is that we would actually anticipate where God is taking us, that we would dream it, see it, visualize it, imagine it, put ourselves into that future place and name what only God can accomplish in us, that you and I will look just like Jesus, that she will look just like Jesus, that he will look just like Jesus, that they will look just like Jesus, that you and I will look just like Jesus. And that's not because we got the juice to make it happen. We've got the technical edge in and of ourselves. No, it's because in Christ, it's already happened. He's achieved that transformation for us. The future 
has already been won. And it's there as we are moved toward it by the Holy Spirit. We can anticipate that fully, and that has a huge effect on our present lives now. A huge bearing on our conversations, our goals, our worship, our serving, our dreams, our purpose, everything in life. Okay, I'm getting toward the end. Summing up, contemplation on the lavish love of God, celebrating our identity as God's children, and then anticipating exactly who we're going to be like, our future selves, looking just like Jesus. Well, those three things, contemplation, celebration, and anticipation, that is what leads us to participation. The fourth way we open ourselves up to the transformation that God is bringing. He says this in verse 3. All who have this hope, what hope? All who have this hope that we're going to look like Jesus. That in the end, we will look just like Jesus. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. We are led by the Spirit of God to participate in God's transformation of us by purifying ourselves. Purifying ourselves means that we are going to make the choices now to live out who we will eventually be then. That we, knowing who God is and how he's loved us and how he's included us in the family and where he's taking us, we're going to begin to adopt that practice now so that we look more like Jesus now. We don't need to do that perfectly. We just need to take the step of purifying ourselves and orienting ourselves around the life and the person of Jesus Christ. And the idea of purifying yourself is a little tricky. I want to unpack it for just a moment. It kind of has two aspects. The first aspect is pretty obvious. We think of purification and we think of coming in from outside, working in the garden or working in the, in, in the, in the field or working at some messy job and realizing that the very first thing we need to do before we sit down for supper or lounge on the couch is that we need to take a shower. We need to purify ourselves. We need to get rid of the grime and the dirt. And so there is a negative aspect to purification that we need to ask ourselves in light of who God is and his love for us and what he's done and how he is, where he's taking us, what in our lives needs to go? What doesn't match? And there's been lots of talk so far in the book of 1 John, and there'll be some more, about, about what in our lives is sin? What do we do with that? How do we confess that? How do we acknowledge that? How do we make sure we're walking in the light, not in the darkness? And there's lots of assurance in there, and lots of truth in there, but it leads us to be willing and able in the grace of God to address the things that are impure, the things that need to go, the things we need to repent and change as the Spirit leads us. And I believe that that's a critical question that we ask as we are spending alone time with God, but also in conversation with a spiritual friend. What in our lives do we need to drop? What needs to be purified, let go, changed? But there's a second aspect to this purification that is about loving like Jesus. It has a a positive. So if the first one is about, you know, taking a shower, the second one is about putting on Christ, putting on the clothing of Christ, begin to imitate and mimic and follow his example in our very lives. It's that positive aspect of that we are choosing under the, the grace of God to love like Jesus, to look around ourselves and say, 
What does love require of me? What does the love of Christ require of me? How can I love like Jesus in my marriage, with my kids, on social media, with a neighbor? How can I love like Jesus the people that are very different than me, people that I have a real struggle with? How do I purify myself by simply loving and living more like Jesus Christ? In other words, if the first question is, what do we drop? The second question is, what do we pursue? What do I need to include? What do I need to go after? What do I need to sacrifice? Yes, but so that I can fully love. And those two questions, what do I drop? What do I pursue? Those are wonderful questions to take in to your spiritual practices your time with God, but also your spiritual conversations with a spiritual friend, with, with community, with your spouse, to talk. What are those things? And that participation by purification is a way the Holy Spirit brings the love of God and our inclusion in the family and all that he wants to do in us in the future into our present reality. It's how he leads and guides us, corrects us, and changes us. Let me finish. Friends, this is our transformation story. We open ourselves up to God by contemplating his lavish love, by celebrating our identity as God's children, by anticipating the future person that he is making us, has promised that we will be, and by participating by saying, I'm willing to let go and add as Jesus leads me so I can be more like him now because that's where he's taking me in the end. But as we finish, I want to be really, really clear. It's easy for us, especially when we get toward the end, we talk about purity, talk about purification, to immediately imagine, oh, this is all on me now. I've got to fix this. I've got to do what's right. And if I don't do what's right, then God somehow is going to set me to the side or he's going to put me down or he's going to maybe, maybe change his plans for me. And I want to just reassure you that there's nothing in that that is true. The purification that God is calling us to, the act of participation is founded 100% in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ for us. Friends, he is the pure one for us. He purified himself in that sense. And he went to the cross so that we could be purified. And the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a work of sheer grace. Remember what's already true. We are loved by God. We're included in his family. He's promised that he's going to make us just like Jesus. That's what's already true. And so now, in the light of what we said today, we can embrace that also what matters most is who we are becoming, just like Jesus. And this work of transformation is a work of grace from start to finish. So whenever you hear that voice of guilt, that voice of shame, that voice of condemnation or pressure or conditionality or somehow remind you that you're just a failure and you're just going to screw this up too, you do one thing. Look again to the lavish love of God. Celebrate the fact that you're his kids and there's nothing that can change that. Look forward to who he's making you to be so you once again can participate in the work he is doing in you now. Let me conclude by praying for us. Father, we do look to your love for us. We celebrate the fact that we are your children and that nothing can change that. We celebrate our family status knowing that 
we look to a future that is good and is sure and is true. We are, are not certain how you're going to do it, but we are confident that we will, all of us together, in beautiful diversity, look just like your son, with that character, that life, that love. And so we open ourselves up now. We open ourselves up personally. We open ourselves up as a church to your purifying work. You would help us know what we need to drop, what is unhelpful, what is sin, what we need to confess and repent of and turn away from, but also what we need to adopt and pursue and go after because, oh, that is who you've called us to be. That is how you've called us to love. So as your people today, as people who are wrestling through you, Jesus, and trying to figure this all out, each one of us today, would you reveal to us your love as we open ourselves up to your transformation so that together we can keep telling this story of our ongoing transformation in you. For your glory, in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.